This is Kevin Conroy, the voice of Batman. This is Lauren Lester, the voice of Robin and Nightwing. And you're listening to the DCAU Review. Hosted by Cal and Liam. Streaming at DCAUReview.com. And on your favorite podcast app. Gotham City is out of control. An entire city screaming in fear. Super villains walk the streets, preying on the innocent. They will learn the true nature of harm. The police are powerless. A creature prowls this urban wasteland. Is that? He moves in darkness. For some, he is a rumor. A name whispered in the corridors of the underworld, waiting for the chance to strike. Let every criminal know the acid taste of fear. You crazy! Gotham has forgotten what justice means. The Dark Knight is here to remind them. Batman. Good guys wear black. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to episode 287 of the DCAU Review. I'm one of your hosts, Cal, and with me, my good friend, good brother, the man that runs our social media accounts, it's Liam. Liam, welcome to another edition of the podcast, and uh, this one we are continuing here in our month of Batman the Animated Series reviews. Really, uh, a lot of episodes that we are quite familiar with here as we wind down to the original run of Batman the Animated Series episodes, and... Today is a unique episode, to say the least, for a number of reasons. We have a lot to talk about with this week's episode, Showdown. That is right, Liam. The episode Showdown, we will get into our review of this episode in just a few minutes. Uh, this episode originally debuted here in the States on Fox Kids block of programming September the 12th, 1995. Uh, which means we just celebrated the 28-year anniversary of this episode's original airing. And of course, we will get our official IMDb synopsis for this week's episode, which is brought to you by, as it always is, by The Pod Tower. Head over to youtube.com slash the pod tower today. If you are a fan of DC podcasts, DC animation, or uh, a combination of the both, uh, we have quite the channel for you with the pod tower. It features the entire library of the Tim talk podcast, which covered every episode of the DCAU from start to finish. It also features our friends at watchtower databases, podcast jump on the bat wagon. And it also features our entire library there in one convenient channel for your listening enjoyment, head over to youtube.com slash the pod tower and subscribe today. That's right. So this is the synopsis for showdown, which uh, has a story by Bruce, Tim, Paul Dini, 
and friend of the show, Kevin Altieri, also directed by Kevin Altieri, uh, Teleplay by Joe Lansdale, I should mention. Uh, music by Todd Haven and animation by Dong Yang. And that synopsis reads as such. While the dynamic duo race to stop Rachel Ghoul from performing a kidnapping, the Wild West story of how he was once opposed by the disfigured bounty hunter Jonah Hex is told. Well, the kidnapping sort of already happens while they're listening to the tale. It's already happened. So it's not like they're racing to stop. I mean, they're kind of racing to stop them from absconding with the person that they yeah, kidnapped. Is. But they're the kidnapping is from, from catching their flight is what's, uh, <laughs> what's actually happening. But as we mentioned, a uh, friend of the show, Kevin Alti, we are putting it in here, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's, that's right. We'll have a, a little bit of corrections to make once we get to our plot breakdown. But first... As you already know, if you've read the title of this episode when you click play on it, we have a special guest correspondent this week, Cal. As mentioned, a good friend of the show, Kevin Altieri. Not only does he get a director credit and a storyboard artist credit uh, on this episode, but he's also credited as a writer on this episode. And uh, while he's not able to join us for the the full episode, we got to, uh, to pick his brain on very short notice, Kevin was nice enough to make some time and chat about an episode that, as uh, as you'll hear, he is quite proud of. And so uh, I think without any further ado, let's throw it to ourselves in the past and our good friend and special correspondent, Kevin Altieri. All right, everybody. So a very special surprise guest. I, I feel like, Liam, we shouldn't even call him a guest <laughs> anymore because he's on the show so often. He's one of our best friends of this show. Uh, d- director and writer credit. He gets dual credit for this episode that we're reviewing this week. Uh, it is Mr. Kevin Altieri himself. Kevin, welcome back. We're going to get you your own seat on the podcast. <laughs> we're just going to say, hey, whenever you want to show up, feel free to chime in because uh, we always love having you on. And you know, when we looked ahead at this episode, this is one of those episodes when I don't think we appreciated when we were growing up because, you know, you're watching a Batman cartoon and you're like, who is Jonah Hex? We didn't, you know, when we're, when you're little kids, you don't know who Jonah Hex is and yeah. uh, lore of the DC behind him. But now as we, as we've grown up and we're watching these through a, a critical lens and trying to analyze them, man, this is, this is one of those episodes that stands out as a very unique part of this original batman run and we wanted to have your thoughts because not only does it have rachel ghoul who we've had you on talking about before and we know is a near and dear character to your heart uh but we know obviously your writer director for this episode and we really wanted to peel back some of the layers and figure out how this episode came about how in the world <laughs> in, in a run of batman the animated series and now the the uh, network mandated adventures of batman and robin run are did you manage to fit in a, a 22 minute episode featuring very little batman you, you did a Cl- clint easter Clint Eastwood Western in the middle of our Batman show. How we pulled actually, that? it's um, it was like yeah, actually, it's the Wild Wild West. Ah, we grew up watching the Wild Wild West reruns, so I'm so yes. excited to hear you get it. <laughs> the reruns, not the yes, stupid yes. movie. No, not the yeah. not the stupid movie. We're talking about Robert Conrad in yeah. the original Wild Wild West and with the old steampunk. Yeah. These crazy. So tell us a little about before we get ahead yeah. designs and all that stuff. Uh, well, what do you remember about how this episode came together and like the pitch and all of that stuff? Well, um, it wasn't really a. It was kind of a pitch between Bruce and Paul to me. Mm-hmm. It was. Um, I'm trying to think. I think 
I think that it was after the recording for Harley's Holiday, where, you know, I, I think that was the show, but it was with Paul. Mm-hmm. Either that or Pop, no, it wasn't Deep Freeze because Deep Freeze was after. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, but I think it was Harley's Holiday. But anyway, me, Bruce, and Paul are there at the recording studio, and we often would all, all pile in the car and just drive over there together. Mm-hmm. And um, so Paul and Bruce go to me and go, Kevin, what? Because when I when I went to visit DC Comics in New York back in the mm-hmm. day, mm-hmm. Um, I had just done in between the seasons i had just done a issue of the demon mm. so people were very surprised like well if you had your choice why didn't you do batman and i'm like well you know i love the demon mm-hmm. you know, right. I, I, I always wanted to, i just wanted to draw the demon i like drawing chain mail i don't know yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no it's like i like the weirder i like the more different comics like i'm a huge fan you know of uh the war comics especially in the 70s mm-hmm. you know uh russ heath you know alex toth you know all those all the you know the 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 stuff that's outside the box right anyway in the dc universe yeah anyway uh so paul and and bruce go you know okay kevin what character would you want to do in the batman show who would you want to bring in Mm -hmm. you know and i said well you know sergeant rock i'd like to do sergeant rock or God, Enemy Ace. How would you get Enemy Ace? You know, Neil Adams did that Enemy Ace story, but it really is an Enemy Ace. It's like a guy, a descendant of his. It's mm-hmm. not actually Hans von Hammer and stuff like that. And and I said, and I went and said, you know, and then I went and said, Jonah Hex or Jonah Hex. I'd love to do Jonah Hex. I don't know how we're going to work that in. <laughs> and then we started going, but if Rachel Gould's involved, wait a minute. Yeah. This could be a story back then. And, you know, and we have just have to figure out how, to, you know, so <laughs> we we sat there and and I was saying, yeah, and Rachel Ghoul is doing the master of the world thing. You know, the Jules Verne thing. Yeah. Where he's going to take over America because the railroad is screwing up the West. Mm-hmm. And so he's going to, you know, he makes an airship. You know, like master of the world, and then he's going to just bomb the hell out of the railroad all the way to Washington D.C. and take it over. And they're like, "Wait, yeah." And Paul's like, "You know, yeah, wait, you know, we can." We can. So, so we're like hammering, throwing out, <laughs> and that's where the plot came from. You know, the story. That's awesome. I, I I love the idea that you're just like throwing ideas out there. You start with like, yeah, and then wait a minute, we can put this together. And then, <laughs> I mean, that's a lot of that is what we ended up with. Like that, yeah. that's, that's, that's the tremendous. And, and, and the plot fell into place. And then between, cause one of the things Bruce was one of the very few people I know that was like a George McDonald Frazier fan. I don't mm-hmm. know if you're familiar with George McDonald Frazier, but he wrote the Flashman books. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and Royal Flash was uh, after the Three and Four Musketeers, Royal Flash, starring mm-hmm. Malcolm McDowell as <laughs> Flashman, you know, with Oliver Reed, you know, with like, you know, Swordsman, mm-hmm. fantastic. You know, it's a bit more of a comedy, but I love it. And and Malcolm McDowell was a great Flashman. But Bruce and I um, were fans of the books, mm-hmm. and we would talk about it quite often. Mm-hmm. And that's where, you know, but I don't know who said it first, 
but it, it was either me or Bruce. It could have been either of us, mm-hmm. but we both agreed. And we went, and Flashman <laughs> is his son because Flashman is a son of a a scoundrel, you know, <laughs> in the books. He's such a, he's such a son of a, but it's like, but he's in, it's the same time period like Flashman, you know, so again, that fit in. And uh, from that moment, we were thinking of nothing but Malcolm McDowell for that role because right. he had played Flashman, mm-hmm. you know, and he, and he could play, he could, you know, it's just, you didn't, you hardly had that. You didn't have to give him any direction. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think he had done any animation up to that point. Well, the, the, I know this is definitely his first role with with uh, with this this particular universe with Andrea Romano as his voice director. Of course, he would later be Metallo and a few other things yeah. in later shows. But yeah, this is uh, yeah, I think this is very early on in his career, and it is something where I think we've talked about that how the the actors who have a great deal of stage uh, experience seem to translate very well to the voice acting as well, and it's oh, just yeah. It feels like he just picked it up immediately and was. But but of course the th- thing about Malcolm McDowell is like oh, oh can can he do narration can he do voiceover mm-hmm. all you gotta do is watch Clockwork Orange mm-hmm. yes he's the narrator mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know? and just his he's just he had such a rich voice absolutely like, but different than David Warner so I was gonna you, say but you pair those two together yeah. yeah and just watching them sitting next to each other. And talking, you know, you've grown rather bold, Arcady, flogging <laughs> my men. You know? I think that adds too to the end when you have mm-hmm. the final twist that this is his son. Is it's like wow, these two dynamic voices because David Warner's is so much more calm. It's direct. It is sinister, but it's very understated. Whereas Malcolm McDowell is clearly over the top and animated in the way that he more, more of a peacock, absolutely like. dynamic yeah. in the way that he's. So that in in some ways, I feel like adds to that twist. Is holy cow, this guy is actually Rachel Gould's son. Like yeah. that you you didn't see that twist coming, and that's why this whole story happens to begin with. So. And I, and I think, um, in my opinion, um, I think Arcady Duvall is one of Bruce's best character designs. Mm, incredible. Because it's him doing Flashman out of the book. You know, mm. like, this is, you know, if we're going to do a Flashman cartoon, this is what he would look like. I love that. That's tremendous. Um, so you mentioned, I assume you were pretty familiar. You you grew up reading Jonah Hex Hex comics, like back in the day. That was something you were yeah. pretty familiar with the character. I, yeah. I read someplace there was like a, there was a direction uh, to kind of change a little bit of his characterization. Did you feel like that that worked better for the, not making him like the straight up Confederate soldier, you know, and having a bit of a, well, bit of a different motivation? Well, he is a bounty hunter. Mm-hmm. you know and um they allude to it when he goes when he first shows up in the town mm-hmm. you know you allude to it oh and but, but you know you allude to him being a bounty hunter mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. don't say death now and, it, and just to go back a little bit because like after almost immediately after that we met and i and before the script even happened because mm-hmm. because joe lansdale and you when you guys were kids mm-hmm. the reason why you weren't reading jonah hex was because it was very adult at this point right it's like dc started doing more adult and jonah hex was a real bounty hunter you know right and, he, and joe lansdale was i think writing at the time okay 
So Paul Dini said, I can get Joe Lansdale. But before the script even was happening, I come back and there's Joe Denton, who was doing, um, I think he was a background guy. I'm not quite sure, but he was certainly capable of doing props. And he was someone who could really ink. You know, he, he was like a guy who inks. But Joe, he was um, older than most of us there you know or well he was older than me and i think i was older than most everyone else anyhow but (laughs) but joe um i went up to joe and i because joe would go off for weekends for entertainment and he'd go to arizona and he'd come back and he'd say hey kevin this is me like last weekend and it's like he was in tombstone arizona and there he is, six guns, you know, bandolier. <laughs> oh my gosh. Or then he would go and he would do like uh, you know, like civil war reenactments, oh, which wow. they, they had they had a bunch of them in California. Wow. So he was like a real cowboy aficionado, and he was like as interested in history as me. Mm-hmm. So I go to Joe and it's like, Hey Joe, what do you think of this idea? And he's <laughs> like, Oh man. And before you know it, he's done all these props, Colt Dragoons. You know, I said, you know, yeah, no, Jonah Hex comes from the Civil War. Mm-hmm. It's, it's outlaw Josie Wales. Mm-hmm. You know, that's that's the period. He's outlawed Josie Wales. You know, he's got, you know, the six shooters that mm-hmm. that are the Colt Dragoons, Black Power Colt Dragoons, <laughs> you know, and Joe just did the models, you know, that and uh, all the props. The, the that usually wasn't his job wow. and then between the two of us i was saying okay so we're really going to try and figure out how would you make at this time how would you make an airship that actually functions right but it's got to be able to take damage so it's got to be an ironclad mm-hmm. so it's like that civil war technology yep and you know hence you know okay you know, so it's like a cross between the CSS Virginia and the monitor. So it's right. got it's got the monitor, but it's got like the CSS Virginia kind of hull. Mm-hmm. So fire broadsides and it's got a gun deck in it and turrets and yep. And then and then we tried to make it work with one with one gas bag, but then we're like, no, no, no. It's like it's a structure going up and twin twin boom. You know, and all of a sudden it started, uh, the Phoenix started to take shape. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. So cool, yeah. The, I mean, the designs and some of the you. I mean, we mentioned Wild Wild West at the top of the the show, but like the so so much of that show incorporated sort of that what is now known as the steampunk stuff with like taking modern okay. technology but retroactively. How would this technology have looked or fit in that era? And looking through all of this, we were just commenting like, oh, that's that would be right in a you would see Jim West yeah. absolutely going up against Dr. Loveless in an episode with one of those things like that was <laughs> that was right, right up. I mean, and, some of the designs, this, guns, all that stuff. So fun. Steampunk didn't exist yet. Right, right, right. 
So we went, okay, perhaps, you know, Joe and I were like working out the idea of the concepts and saying, okay, you know, it's like you got the main gun decks and stuff. And we really based all of that on Civil War technology, you mm -hmm. know, mm -hmm. American Civil War. Right. Um, so we based that on that, but uh, it still is he's saying, but, you know, looking forward, Victorian era, it's mm -hmm. like a little bit of like uh, World War One era technology. Mm -hmm. like that's how advanced he would be at that time. Uh, right, right. He would be at that time. He, he's a step past everyone else always absolutely. hence the gatling the, the the pervasive gatling guns you know i was gonna say that was another the, one the hand crank like, yeah, the hand crank them. gatling gun is a is a was a huge uh you know got a big smile out of both of us for that one yeah and 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 bs and p was i i don't even think they knew what to think about this <laughs> i would say there's guns going off there's bombs going off there's people getting punched in the face albeit strategically <laughs> well there is and by the the way, I, if you, anyone notice on my episodes, you know, Robin, <laughs> you know, at the very beginning, it's the only ball punch you'll ever see you know, <laughs> in, you know, like in, in any of the Batman shows. But it's, it's quite a blatant one. It's quite oh, yeah. a blatant one. I love the shot of the guy of the the guy and his his uh, his eyes get so expressive once you cut away from the punch and his eyes like, you know, immediately what happened. Like, there's no guessing yeah. there. But it's funny. When we've had you on before and you've mentioned how dirty Robin fights, I leaned over to Liam as soon as we saw that. I was like, there's Ke Kevin, Kevin's mandate of Robin being a dirty fighter right there, right to the yeah. balls. Yeah. It's like, and the fight's over. Right? Mm -hmm. the, guy, probably better, the guy's probably better off. You know? <laughs> That's all he got was a ball punch. He didn't really get, you know, knocked out. Or right, exactly. Right. He's just, <laughs> just a little over it. That's right. Exactly. So our other question about the story was kind of, so when, once you decide you're going to work on this episode, is there any resistance do you hear about from the network about, Hey, we're doing an episode that doesn't really focus. I think they were on. just shocked. Uh huh. <laughs> sorry to cut you off like that. Oh, no problem. But it's like, I think they were just shocked. I, I think they were just, what? I, <laughs> you know, because it's like, you know, and Another and it's like I insisted, like I did in the storyboard. I actually animated the cannonballs and I put it in the timing, the speed of the cannonball, so you can see them, kind of see them. And Bruce is like, "Are you insane? <laughs> cannonballs?" And I'm like, "Actually, you can see cannonballs." It's mm. like, have you ever seen like you know old school like Napoleon or parrot guns firing? Mm -hmm. I have. Mm. Uh, you can see that cannonball. If you're looking for it, you'll see it. You know, wow. so you know it's like bullets are a little smaller, but cannonballs are big enough that you can actually see them. Right. You think about the size <laughs> of these things. And yeah, they, and Don Yang. Um, I mean, the studio that whoever got this is like it was. Um, I recognize certain animators, mm -hmm. and whoever got this, it was like one of those TMS satellite studios. Mm. They're probably based in Korea. I'm not sure. It's like. Mm -hmm. it's yeah, but man, they this this one like the tail end of the sword fight, sword you know saber versus uh, mm -hmm. uh, Bowie knife at mm -hmm. the end. Man, I could not ask for better. It's got squash and stretch and the character. It's like, and they and I don't even care if they're not on model. It doesn't matter. <laughs> 
the action yeah the action the action is from that like middle portion once the once the phoenix gets off the ground it's it's like non-stop action for the next like yeah. 10 minutes or whatever it is for that exactly. third act well, we, and you guys totally screwed up on the credits at the beginning what do we mess up storyboards oh we ah. missed the storyboard <laughs> credit oh ah. my goodness <laughs> no i mean i storyboarded like once the phoenix is flying mm-hmm. it's all mm. that's you know storyboard wise with well, joe Den and glenn murakami you know but st- still that whole that that is like, sequence is phenomenal like, yeah, it's, it's, like a, it's just like a dream come true for me to get to do that and it's like of all the episodes you know, I'm perhaps proudest of this one. Wow. Just because it's just so off the normal track. Yes. I mean, you, didn't see, you, didn't, you never saw anything like this. Exactly. Well, and like you just said, like having to design, think of a vehicle. How how would an airship look that's a little futuristic for the time, but not impossible for the time and that, and that sort of thing. And designing yeah. all of that from the ground up. Yeah, of course I can can see by why that one yeah i just love how like even though you wouldn't necessarily i think think of jonah hex as like a swashbuckler in this episode that whole last sequence where he's swinging on the rope and and you know swinging around he's got you know he's has a sword duel at the end like it takes on this almost you know pirate pirate adventure feel in that in that last act even though there's all the explosions and guns and fire going on yeah and then people are saying you couldn't fight you couldn't fight like a saber with a Bowie knife. And I'm like, it was done. Yeah. It was done. Figure it out. Right. Yeah. It was like, no, the civil war, the American civil war happened all the time. There you go. Bowie yeah. knife basically you just have to have the knowledge story. to know that it happened. Right. <laughs> yeah. But in a band also, it's like, if you go and say that, it's like, well, Jonah Hex certainly could fight a saber with a Bowie knife. I was going to say he's, this is not the first time he's probably done that. It's an yeah. I was gonna say you you also went with you didn't go with the younger incarnation of Jonah Hex in this episode. He's clearly oh. wash it like you know it's the tail end of his of his run. It's established many times. He's done this for a long time. You even get the the lethal weapon line at the end. You know I'm getting too old for this. Like you get yeah. you, know, you get that thrown oh, in and, there. And, so and, it's established. And, he's been around a while. In Bruce's design, where he just decided to make him completely bald. Just <laughs> got a long hair fringe, uh-huh. you know? and uh, you don't see it until they hoist him up by his ankles, and the hat comes off. Yep, absolutely. Uh, speaking of designs, I mean, we we touched on it briefly already, but how fun we've talked we've talked to you before, we've had you on, and we know that you have such a passion for uh, aviation, specifically trying to fit in as many different designs as you can. Spe- specifically, we talked about it on the uh, on the blind is a bat, or not blind is a bat, the um, um, off balance off balance episode oh. with getting the different planes and stuff in for Rachel Gould. Uh, besides, obviously, our main event here, which was a which was an incredible design, but uh, there's a couple of other planes. It seems like you, you may have worked in there also. And even Rachel Gould gets his own like little foot powered oh, yeah. glider. Yeah. Well, it's like, it's just, it's just a glider. It's right. just a glider. Um, but it's like, it's based on um, Otto Lilienthal, I think is how you pronounce his okay. name. But it was, I mean, I looked at, yeah, I looked at like uh, Otto Lilienthal and I just thought, well, suppose you, what would you make? Right. Mm-hmm. That whole that whole deck was just an invention by me. That hanger, 
you know <laughs> and then how it would work it's like i enjoyed like oh yeah you'd have guys hauling on chains and mm-hmm. like you know and uh yeah, and you, you know and he hands off his hat you know right. like, oh, it's all gonna blow up right one thing to happen to this you know because <laughs> it's just gonna get blown off my head once i take off uh so fun and, and the Leo, leonardo da vinci uh parachutes mm-hmm. there you go absolutely yeah i was gonna say i, I would Throughout this whole episode, it's like you. Now that we've talked to you several times, I'm like, we can see your fingerprints throughout the episode very clearly. Is like, okay, we know how much Kevin has a passion for this stuff. So I bet you <laughs> he took meticulous time to make sure that this one design went in there, worked right, flew right in the animation. Like, it was super, super neat to see that stuff. And there's a lot of it in this particular episode for sure. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, that's, uh, well, yeah, it's like that. That one wasn't hard to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> we read, in, I think, in an interview that you'd given in the past that, and, and you actually mentioned before we started recording that there was uh, a lot of stuff cut from this episode. Was there anything you you previewed, showed us a little one little sequence of a storyboard before we started recording? But was there anything that you wish had been able to be included that was either cut for S and P or that would have, you know, that you really were like, ah, oh, I can't believe I got to lose this piece. Well, it's like it, it. It the weird thing is, is like this was originally going to be um, just like an evening, the evening time slot. Mm-hmm. But it got put on Saturday morning, and mm-hmm. Saturday morning there was like a thirty seconds difference. I think okay. it could have been a minute mm. because there's just uh, more on Saturday morning at the time. There was just an extra commercial or whatever gotcha. for a break. Um, so even though things, okay, here's one, things were cut out of the script that I really would have liked to have had. And, um, this one had to have been a BS and P, but in the original Joe Lansdale script, Mm -hmm. Owen Hex gets put into his cell, you know, he's captured by racial rule and he's in racial rule goes and says, well, you know, know, lock him up and, you know, anyway, okay. So the guard closes the gate. We, we, this was cut out totally. It's like he just gets put into a cell. Mm-hmm. But guard slams the gate and goes, sweet dreams, Hex. And <laughs> Jonah Hex goes, don't mind if I'll be dreaming about your mother, do you? <laughs> that got cut. <laughs> I don't uh, know why that would have got yeah, cut. Yeah, come on. You know, a, a kid wouldn't have known what that meant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's too funny but the, so that that got cut you know but uh there was things like well we had uh patrick Leahy, you know and it's like this and everything kind of fit in the edit before mm-hmm. it's like we had you know our our senator patrick Leahy, and it's like the only problem is and andrea got him to mm-hmm. play the governor mm-hmm. and patrick Leahy spoke and did his delivery like, and it's not a big, it's not a big speech, but he spoke like he was actually giving a speech. Right. <laughs> oh, it's kind of long. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh no, it's like, if I got to cut something, I'm going to cut some of the speech. And then I checked and Andrea said, yeah, can't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why? That's the deal. If we get a public servant like Patrick Leahy, and he's he's a great supporter of animation, mm-hmm. huge supporter of animation. So if you get his voice, 
you can't cut any of it. It was just like that was just kind of the contractual deal. Mm-hmm. You know, to, if you're going to get a senator or governor who do a voice, that's kind of what the deal was. So I had to keep him in. And if you notice the scene where he's giving the speech, I have the crowd. I storyboarded this myself. I have the crowd. But to keep the scene alive, I have that kid. I was going to say, that kid jumping up and down. Yep. Trying to see it. And then when he finishes his speech, it's like, he doesn't even get to see anything. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Which also brings, like, this is also another thing. This is, in this particular episode, like, character designers, um, Mm. other than Bruce, came in because there's so many characters there's so many extra characters mm-hmm. and you couldn't and this was this episode especially you could not go and just pull from another episode you know right. which many <laughs> wouldn't match <laughs> it's not going to happen although we did pull the horses by chen yi chang interesting um the horses came from avatar okay uh, okay so uh, we were able to reuse that yeah, those horses yeah. I think all we had to do was uh, change change out the saddles and stuff. Okay, but yeah, Chen Yi, um, uh, Mike Diedrich, Dexter Smith, you know, they they really uh, added all those Western characters. Mm-hmm. Very cool. Uh, really kept it alive, and it, and it has a, and that the result was it really has a bit of a different look. Mm-hmm. It really does, yeah. I mean, that's what makes this episode so unique. It's, it's, I mean, let alone just the, the time and the, 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 the setting of the episode itself, but mm-hmm. all they, the characters are 100% unique. That opening scene when we first meet Jonah and he's in the saloon and the, everybody's kind of give him the once over and everyone sees his, the side of his face and they all, everyone sort of instantly recoils. I love that. Like it's such a nice little bit of, uh, you know, just showing, yeah, like, telling. That was, that was Mike Gogan. I gave him all the stuff in the town. <laughs> so fun and i got to meet you know in this one just going back to like the actors and stuff. Mm-hmm. And speaking of jonah hex you know jonah hex and and uh i always thought of jonah hex when i was a when i first went to go to the movies and i saw the outlaw josie wales mm-hmm. man it's like i i thought this is like clint eastwood doing jonah hex gets mm-hmm. hit on the face gets the scar by Bill McKinney. And so that was, I was always a fan of Bill McKinney's, you know, just from that. Mm -hmm. And then of course, everyone goes and says, you know, who did the voice of Jonah Hex? And I said, Bill McKinney, the guy from deliverance. I'm like, (laughs) why do you focus on that? (laughs) It's like, he didn't, he didn't get the job because he could do like an ornery hillbilly. Right. Right. He did. He got the job because of Outlaw Josie Wales. You know, mm-hmm. he's he's such a great Western voice. Well, and that's it's funny. We I think the so the the one Batman the animated series wiki page is like, oh, he's most famous for his role in Deliverance. So on his actual Wikipedia page, though, we went and looked it up, and we're like, holy cow. This guy was in yeah. seven or eight other Western films. He worked with Clint Eastwood before, most notably in this Josie Wales movie. Like that should be the headline because so many we, we've talked about it with you before and on our show. Uh, you know, anytime that it seemed that Andrea could get somebody that fit with the theme of the episode or was familiar with that type of characterization, it just fit for the show. So why would you not get somebody that had worked with Clint Eastwood before in a very yeah. similar characterization like this? Yeah, and also he worked with John Wayne using the shooting. 
you know it's like you, it's like so anyway yeah i you you get it right <laughs> absolutely that that record straight we didn't get him because he you know <laughs> Ned Beatty. that's right exactly that, that wasn't that wasn't the one that got him the job <laughs> That's and, awesome. And I got to meet Elizabeth Montgomery. I was going to say, this was, I, I believe this is her final acting role before she passed. Yeah, which just I... Just an institution, like a, just an, another incredible, it's a wild, you know, they agreed to do it, right? Like you pinch yourself when I, when you meet someone like that, yeah. I'm sure. And and the weird thing is, is like she, you know, you, 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 you meet her and it's like she had to have been sick. Mm. She had to have been, but... Mm. Man, it's like I I just looked at her and it's like, man, she looks, she's just as pretty as she was in the sixties. Mm-hmm. It's just you know, just such a timeless, beautiful lady. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And and she totally, I mean, she's playing the Madame, you know, which, you know, he hurt one of my girls real bad. <laughs> and you know, we we know what her job was, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> so, but she just played it just it's just like a subtle and i i and the fact it's like that that accent that she uses mm-hmm. kind of a touch you know the touch of a southern lady mm-hmm. you know you know anyway just like in the sympathy between her and hex mm-hmm. you know just just such a good job such a good job absolutely as again that kind of informs that, that the interaction between them sort of informs Jonah Hex being so determined to grab, uh, you know, him at the end of the episode. He's like, no, it's not because I'm defending the good old US of A. It's because you're a bad man and I catch yeah. bad men. Like that's that's what it comes down to at the end. Yeah. And then, then going back to like what has to be cut, you know, there's certain things that just had to, had to stay in, you know, but there was stuff at the beginning where he's coming into the town mm-hmm. there was more reaction of people and um there was several of those shots which i just that were animated and i just wanted to keep and just because you know there's a bruce had like hick on a pip, pickle barrel and there's like this guy just <laughs> chomping on you know just <laughs> chomping on a pickle, eating a pickle and he's like whoa <laughs> that guy cut um you know oh, there's, there's just there's just subtle things you know with dogs running away from him mm-hmm. and you know once they see him and right just just all these things leading up to his his final reveal mm-hmm. that were cut um which is you know which really bugged me but yeah. had to be done and then there's the one the final one the final cut that i just so get the, we get the thing that this is like a thir- this is like a minute shorter actually i do remember it was a minute because a minute was like a stab to the heart Ugh. so i'm sitting there with joe gall and we're editing and we're editing and and this is on a, you know so it's actually cut and splice cut and splice mm-hmm. and we're just trying to get it trying to get it down to time without losing too much you know because i i'm not gonna lose the broadside with the cannonballs flying at cannon right right I'm not going to lose like the combat at the end, you know, it's like with all the guys like firing and you'll notice we don't show anyone getting hit. Mm, yes. Um, damage sp- being done. It's like buildings are blowing up and, mm-hmm. you know, and you see the Gatling gun hits going up to the soldiers and then we cut. Yes. Right. 
so you know it, so that's all for bs and p and that was all great but i'm not losing the gatling guns and everything mm-hmm. and i'm not losing arcades i'm not losing that sword fight mm. but i did lose it's like i showed you guys earlier there's the one shot where it's like where duval is sent by and there was actually more dialogue in in there you know in the uh in the bridge of mm-hmm. the phoenix of the ship mm-hmm. where jonah you know like where jonah hex is you know all hell has broken loose mm-hmm. and it's like you know it's like so where rachel ghoul tells arcady duval trying to remember exactly how the whole scene went mm-hmm. but there's an altercation where it's like now now he's really pissed off at his kid mm-hmm. he, he, he's pissed off and he like reprimands him in front of the whole bridge and then there's this guy that arcady goes is like go and handle this problem and he arcady goes and walks out and he's looking back over his shoulder and then he sees this guy who's kind of smirking at him who has a saber? He's an officer, so he has a saber. And Katie Duval is like, "Well, how do you unsheathe the saber?" And I had him grab the saber, and the animation was beautiful. And he just grabs the guy by the face and shoves him off camera. He <laughs> <laughs> got the saber, and then the next time you see him, he stripped off his coat and bowler, and now he's you know, I have the the turret turn and the doors open, and there's Arcady already with his uh, saber. Man. Sounds like it would have been a pretty good intro. Uh, like it, it would have solidified just the. Yeah, like, it's just it's just a hook. It's just yeah. a hook. You know, now you know he has a saber, right. and it's it's a good reveal when he we do see him with it. But yeah. seeing him where he gets it from would just been like that. Just an extra touch, right? Yeah, it reinforces you know. Duval's side of like he's been embarrassed in front of his men and. He's yeah. trying to show how macho and tough he is, and for his dad, right? <laughs> I'll show the old man, right. like I'll show him up. But also, it re- it also reinforces going forward that little conversation that Batman and Rachel Ghoul have at the end, where he really he's like, "Hey, you know, even though he completely was a loose cannon and was not he like he proved to me he was not worthy of running my empire based on how he acted, like which." Is an interesting. You could probably talk about this for another hour of like <laughs> Rachel Ghoul's characterization of like even though he's this this man uh, bent on world domination, he has like standards. Like you're not gonna whip people mercilessly. You're not gonna torture them before you kill them. Like he's got standards. Get out of the loudspeaker <laughs> and tells people to run away when he's gonna blow up the railroad. Like he's not indiscriminately mowing down yeah. bystanders. Like. I love that he has he has standards as a as a villain. Like that's pretty. It's a pretty interesting dynamic. And I think that also plays into to Batman letting him go at the end, right? Because he's not yeah. an indiscriminate psychopath like the Joker, who's just mowing down everyone. There's there is that little bit of like begrudging respect still between them, where Batman's like, "All right, this isn't this isn't really a crime being perpetrated here. We'll just let it go." Again, just you know. David Warner, it's like my God. It's like we'll cross swords another day. Yeah, just just that delivery is like, and I know Andrea was giving him direction, but by but just how naturally he embodies the role. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, it's not 
God, nowadays, I don't know if anyone else would read the lines like that and be allowed right. to read them like that. Would there be some pontificating oaf? Right. You know, <laughs> out, we shall cross swords another day. Right. You know, it's like, no, it's like he just does just so calmly. And and, uh, and I think Troy did that sequence, the, the end sequence. Mm. It's just like where he just goes, Robin, you know. Mm. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> well, we just had a fight. These guys were shooting. <laughs> shot up the nursing home there. You know? We'll let him go. He's off to fly off. Yeah. Uh, all right. We have one uh, one final question here, Kevin. So you already kind of touched on it a little bit uh, that some other ideas like the demon or Sergeant Rock. Um, if there was in, a, in the multiverse somewhere, you guys got 13 more episodes after these and we're going to do another, you know, Rachel Ghoul in history story. Is there is there one of those where you're like, that's the one I'd do? Like, that's is there one of those characters you'd want to match him up with? I mean, I would go to Enemy Ace. <laughs> really? Wow. Because, well, I mean, that's something that I would, I would like to do is like, you know, World War One aerial combat. Mm-hmm. Animation wise, uh, it's it, it's almost a whole category all unto itself. Mm-hmm. Because... And that and that's another thing is like where in my mind I could create animation shortcuts. Mm-hmm. Kind of like like when I did Macross, you mm-hmm. know, or I did uh was it Starcom was the one I did for Deke, but Macross or Starcom. The thing is they're vehicle shows. Mm-hmm. So that's where you save your money, is when the people are just this much is showing, and they're in, and all you're doing is cutting to close ups of them, mm-hmm. the trigger or <laughs> moving that or kicking the pedals. Mm-hmm. Very simple bits of animation. Um, and then you figure out ways to animate the, the, uh, the planes. Mm-hmm. You know? there you so go. that would actually work out. And then just the whole atmosphere, the whole horror of World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, how would Rachel Ghoul be dealing with that? You know, that would be very intriguing. It's like, would he open up his own front? Was mm-hmm. he responsible? Was he responsible for the death of the Romanovs? Mm-hmm. Maybe good. he had the Romanovs killed off. Maybe that's what right. he's planning on. Now he's going to kills off the Romanovs. Who are, they're all related. Mm-hmm. All the are one. They're related. Now he's going to work. Is he going to move on to Queen Victoria and her family? Mm. You know, that's. I love the tale. Oh, yes. I'm, all right. So I get little Who do we talk just... to at DC to make sure this happens in some form or fashion? <laughs> we'll send emails immediately. I, I have no idea. I don't, I don't even know what they're doing over there now. <laughs> Not many people seem to know. Oh, man. But Kevin, thanks so much for uh, spending some time with us talking about this episode. What a uh, what a fun time. Um, we're excited to to kind of break it down here ourselves. And but uh, in the meantime, we know you're on Instagram. I've seen you've been doing. Uh, I don't know if your commissions are officially open, but I see you've been posting some artwork for commissions uh, that yes. you've done recently. It's been really cool. Um, so you know, uh, can people contact you directly for those? Or are you is that more of a private thing? I'm not sure. Well, it's like yeah, they they can go. It's like um. I think if you go on to um, Instagram, it's mm-hmm. Altieri Arts. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, I have another one with just my name, but it's mm-hmm. like that, that was just, you know, I don't <laughs> ignore that. Yeah. You know, it's like that, that was back when, you know, Facebook was like dropping people left and right. And oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And you can also and you can also go see Kevin Altieri. Um, you can contact me on Facebook. Okay. Just message me. You know, I'll respond. Very mm-hmm. cool. Well, Kevin's mm-hmm. posted some really cool art. I've seen some some really awesome stuff that you've done with the Phantasm anniversary. Um, you know, the some Harley Quinn stuff. Some uh, some I, I saw you did a, a a Phantasm shot of the Batman putting on the cow on on canvas. I've seen digital art. You're doing it that all. One, that one was that was a commission that's already been sold. Man, man, yeah, was, that, was, that one I did sell super that. Super cool. One. Love that yeah, one. I did that one specifically for someone, you know. But uh, so cool. Um, but yeah, there's just, uh, I've been doing, well, you know, that's the problem with being unemployed. <laughs> <laughs> but I can actually, you know, it actually gives me time to do things like, you know, the painting I did of Mr. Freeze. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I love that one. So you know, cool. That's something that I've, uh, that's kind of Nora Freeze and, and Mr. Freeze is Dr. Fibes. Mm-hmm. You know, Nora, that that's kind of that was my contribution to the iconography. Mm-hmm. So, so good though. Schumacher swiped it. <laughs> <laughs> he had no right to do that. <laughs> like, this isn't Canaan, you moron. How dare you? Uh, so great well Kevin we love having you on every time thank you so thank much you. for spending uh, you know a little over a half hour with us today chatting about this episode um, you know and uh, we can't wait to have you on again soon okay yeah, that'd be my pleasure thanks guys what an incredible <laughs> what an incredible uh, time there with Kevin Liam uh, we can't say enough uh, to to thank him not only for donating his time on such short notice but I think, you know, it's interesting uh, when we looked at this episode was coming up on the when we saw that this episode was coming up on the on the uh, on the horizon, we thought, man, it would be really interesting to get some behind the scenes to figure out how this story came to be. How did they pick Jonah Hex? You know, what 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 like what is this episode and uh i don't think we could have asked for more with that interview with kevin he gave us a a lot of incredible insight and uh we do once again thank him for his time and uh, he even showed us uh before we went on and started recording he showed us some of the storyboards that he did for the for the episode it was uh it was a really fantastic time and every time we have kevin on the the show it's a it's a treat but this one i think uh just hearing his passion and appreciation for mm-hmm. this particular episode was contagious enough to uh, to really, I think, in some ways influence how I ended up scoring the episode. Hearing the love of uh, someone who made the show and how much time and effort was put into it, I think uh, really puts it in a different perspective when you're when you're looking at this as opposed to just your run of the mill 22 minute watch and watch and chat that we do on a, on a usual show. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it was great to hear him just talk about the different things that he, that he loved about it and, you know, the influences and all of that. So once again, we thank you to Kevin for donating some of his time this week to, uh, to chat with us about this episode. So Liam, we don't have to, uh, to give a full necessarily in-depth breakdown. And I feel like every time we say that we, uh, we end up doing that anyway, but uh, we'll go ahead and give our, we don't have the time. (laughs) (laughs) We uh, yeah, this is an extended bonus, big sized, uh, giant sized episode as we would call it, uh, you know, with the, with the uh, interview with Kevin. So we'll try and keep our synopsis just, 
to the high points as we kick things off for the episode as uh, Batman and Robin stumble upon a group of uh, what appears to be assassins who are pumping gas into uh, what we later find out is sort of a retirement home or a, a, a retirement facility. Uh, Rachel Ghoul is present and accounted for and uh, is uh, uh, absconding with one of its residents. Batman and Robin, meanwhile, are too busy fighting the uh, the 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 League of Assassins uh, in order to uh, to to stop him as he gets away. Uh, but uh, leaving behind, uh, he d- he doesn't leave them uh, sort of scratching their heads too much as he does leave a cassette tape. And hey, this I don't think this is a piece of uh, with the resurgence and appreciation for cassette tapes. Like there are bands that legitimately drop their albums mm-hmm. on cassette tapes these days. We don't have to explain this technology to too many people. I think that's right. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a, it's retroactive. We probably have the. Uh... The Guardians of the Galaxy movie, largely to thank for that resurgence. Uh, but yes, I think we generally you can figure out it's an audio recording that of Rachel Ghoul telling a story uh, to Batman and Robin as they race to the airport to try to try to catch him before he gets on this flight. Um, it's clear that he wants them to find him. The plane he's getting on is called Lazarus. He's not hiding at all. So clearly he wants Batman and Robin to meet him at the airport and he wants them to hear this story. There, Lazarus. It's too easy. He wants us to find him. Let's check this out. I anticipated meeting you tonight, Detective. I hope the story I have to tell you may cause you to reconsider your pursuit. The year was 1883. Your government was ruthlessly expanding. From there, for most of the rest of the episode, we are taken away to a uh, to the old west, uh, you know, to the the wild wild west, if you will. <laughs> um, which, as we talked about with Kevin, was a was a big influence on this uh, on this episode, especially in the latter half. But yes, we see an old gunslinger coming into town. We, of course, are very quickly introduced to Jonah Hex, a, a bounty hunter. In uh, and uh, he's uh, he's sort of tasked with tracking down this uh, this mysterious rogue Arcady Duval. What a tremendous name, by the way. I don't think we, <laughs> I don't know who came up with that name, but incredible. We forgot to ask Kevin that. But what a what an incredible name for like a slimy uh, uh, old west fancy lad. Like that's right. Arcady Arcady. Duval. They don't make names like that anymore. Absolutely. But uh, Jonah Hex is uh, meets up with the. Um, the matron of a uh, a local establishment <laughs> i guess you would say mm-hmm. um who uh who gives jonah hex a little bit of info tells him where to find uh this arcade duval who is holed up as we find out in this enormous sort of factory inside of a cave duval comes into town now and then starts fights bothers my girls challenges men to duels I'm aware of his habits, Missy. What I ain't aware of is where he's holed up. Strange thing, that. He ain't staying at the hotel, and the next town's 50 miles away. Sounds like he likes to sleep on the ground with the rest of the snakes. He ain't the type. More the clean sheet sort. And he first showed up in town about the time folks started seeing the Sky Monster. The what? No one knows what it is. And the sheriff's too yellow to investigate. It only comes out at night like a big boat or a log in the sky. 
about the same time it showed, folks started seeing lights in the... Get down! Way I figure, that glow might some way tie in with the Sky Monster and Duval. Reckon so. I think you better start back now, Missy. Got a feeling things might get loud and busy soon. Good luck, Jonah Hex. Right nice sentiment, ma'am. But I never cotton much to luck. I like to make my own. I'll remember that when I see you next. And uh, Hex does is... drop notes, by the way. She drops those hints about the mysterious sky monster that's appearing. That's right. That, the uh... sheriff is too cowardly to investigate. That's right. So we know there's yeah there's some sort of large you know a mechanical monster if you will out there although I guess we don't know it's mechanical quite yet but we quickly as 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 he arrives at Arcadia Duval's uh, headquarters we find out it's a giant factory inside of a cave and uh, not only is Arcadia Duval there but we see his his benefactor uh, the upper management is also there overseeing this project none other than Rachel Ghoul himself. Who is uh, who's quick to discipline Arcady as he's uh, he's a bit Arcady is a bit more authoritarian with his discipline of his uh, employees and Raish doesn't really see the value in that and kind of routinely as becomes a theme keeps dressing uh, dressing Arcady down in front of the the men and uh, and uh, and just just it makes it clear that this guy is a real disappointment to Raish and uh, Hex is uh, is pretty quickly captured. And uh, taken taken prisoner by uh, by Duval's men, and uh, after uh, after a little bit more, like we said, we're trying to just skip. We're just trying to hit the big beats here, folks. So uh, after a, a bit of uh, a bit of fisticuffs, he's able to escape, and we see what this uh, flying machine, this flying monster that uh, that the woman was referring to earlier in the episode. It's a giant airship with giant uh, giant hydrogen uh gas balloons carrying carrying it through the city and we find out why they're doing this in fact is none other than Rachel Ghoul's plan as as what else would Rachel's plan be but he is upset with the construction of the railroad the first railroad connecting the east and west coasts of the United States because of the devastation it has had on the forestation of uh, of the United States and so he's taking this uh, this giant airship, and he's just opening fire on on the railroad. Work, you lazy good-for-nothing. Huh? I've told you repeatedly, this is not how I do things. I beg your pardon, sir. I was hoping to expedite the completion of the airship. Commendable. But not at the expense of my workforce. Good men are hard to find in these parts, and there is still much to be done. The government's western expansion is destroying this land. Drastic steps must be taken to preserve the wilderness. And Ray Chargul is the one to do it. Who better than I? I'll destroy the railroad and bomb other railroad junctions as I move eastward toward Washington. Once Washington is in flames, I'll force the United States government to declare me master of America. Whatever you say. And, uh, well, and 
let's not bury the lead here. After he destroys, the, he's he's defending the the forest station. That is a big part of it. But he's gonna not gonna stop with this one railroad. He's going all the way back across towards the east, destroying every railroad junction in his path until mm-hmm. he gets to Washington, and then he's gonna make them force them to make him the master of America. That's right. I uh yeah, so he's he's got he's got grand designs as Raish always does, uh under the guise of uh of perhaps protecting the environment, but yes, he's uh this is his plan and they open fire and it's it's clear that the soldiers that are that are there to defend are quite overmatched with their muskets that uh, Raish Raish has uh, advanced technology here that they simply cannot match as he's got this flying machine with giant cannons and machine guns and all of this. So uh, as, as we approach, uh, as we said, Jonah Hex is able to escape and make his way onto the airship. He uh, contends with some of the henchmen before having a sword and sword versus knife fight with Arcady Duval. And uh, he sets off a cannon, which blows up one of the giant hydrogen engines uh, causing the ship to crash race escapes on a, on a great old timey Wright brothers plane. And, uh, and as we, uh, as we finish our story, Duvall begs Jonah X offers him $5,000 in gold to leave him alone. But as has been clear, uh, as, as we talked about with Kevin, uh, Jonah Hex ain't, uh, he, he ain't doing this for old uncle Sam. He's not exactly, uh, maybe the biggest fan of the, uh, the United States government, but he is a bounty hunter and he is a man with a certain code. And that code means that he's got to bring Duval in alive for, uh, for, as they allude to quote, what you did to that girl, uh, back East. So that's sort of where our tale ends. 5,000 in gold. Take it. Leave me be. It ain't about money, boy. It's about justice. And I aim to serve you, son. Let me live, please. I will. Only because it's too much trouble to haul your stinking carcass back east. Uh. I'm getting too old for this. And as uh, as Batman and Robin arrive on the tarmac, as Raish is about to board his flight, we get the reveal of just who that uh, that that old person at the nursing home that Raish absconded with at the start of the episode is. Yes, indeed, the dynamic duo finally confronting Raish. Raish uh, kind of filling in the blanks as to why uh, that tale was relevant, as uh, they reveal that the person in the wheelchair that they've absconded with is, in fact, Duval. As we see, the scar matches the scar on Duval's face. Batman, being the world's greatest detective, has already deduced that this was Duval, and that's why Raish was telling him this tale. But what he doesn't quite understand is uh, why he went through all of this trouble uh Raish continues to mention that after uh, after he, uh Jonah Hex remanded him into custody of the authorities he was sentenced to 50 years hard labor but uh Batman also of course is confused as to how over 100 years later he could still be alive Raish of course mentions that after that 50 years of hard labor uh, he, of course, allowed him to utilize the Lazarus pits, which has kept him alive this long. However, the Lazarus pits effects no longer work. And uh, Batman, again, is starting to put the pieces of the puzzle together, but not quite all of them, as Raish finally reveals that his deep care 
for Duvall, even though he re- quickly realized that he was not someone that would be able to uh, succeed him in his quest for uh, for ruling the world, uh, as he has so often tried to recruit Batman for, uh, he does reveal that Duvall was in fact one of his sons, and in uh, mm-hmm. and that that is the true reason why he couldn't turn his back on him at this point, despite all of their differences, and the the fact that they they couldn't quite ever see eye to eye, and that they did things very differently, and that he wasn't worthy of inheriting Raish's crown, so to speak. Uh, He does have a deep love for him as his son. You left Duval to his fate a century ago. Why come back for him now? Did you really think, Detective, that in my 600 years of life I would have sired only one offspring? Even before the Phoenix debacle, I had come to realize that Arcady was too unbalanced and cruel to wisely rule my empire. But you couldn't forget about him. What father can ever forget his son? Come now, detective. I've still a few good years left. We will cross swords another day. But for now, let me take my boy home. He requests that Batman leave him be and uh, allow them to to take each other on on another day, as Raish reminds him as he has several good years left in which they'll be able to cross paths. But in the meantime... He requests of Batman to let him go and uh, to uh, to be with his son for his final final moments on Earth. And Batman obliges, uh, closes his cape, turns back to the to the Batmobile, and speeds off as he allows Raish to board the plane uh, with his dying son. And that's uh that's kind of where we we end things on for the episode, Liam. So Batman uh, knows that he'll live to fight another day against Raish, and we see this odd sort of dynamic in their relationship Mm -hmm. of mutual respect as Batman shows him respect in a way uh, to allow him to sort of uh, experience these last moments with his son in peace. So uh, yeah, Uh, let's go ahead and chat about uh, our, our thoughts on the plot. As I mentioned, I I think uh, if you had asked me, you know, 20, 20 years ago, even 30 years ago, what I thought of this episode, uh, well, this episode wasn't around 30 years ago, but 28 years ago, what I thought of this episode, I don't know that uh, I would have ranked it very high. As we mentioned, not a lot of Batman. It's not very true to the to the series in the way that uh, you're used to. But I think looking at this through a critical eye, knowing the backstory and the influences, we talked about how the Wild Wild West uh, television show was uh, was a b- big favorite of ours. Uh, it was our, it was a favorite of our, of our dads and then passed down to us as a favorite. And we enjoyed that. So that being an influence of the episode, you can see the hallmarks of a wild, wild west episode throughout this as an influence. And I think just the idea of sort of an old gunslinger on his last leg, um, that is a, a classic DC hero that, you know, as we talked about with Kevin, wasn't someone that we could appreciate as kids, but now that we're older, we know a little bit about the history of the character and, and can appreciate it a little bit more. I, I think it, it changes how I look at this episode. It certainly changes how I look at this episode. Um, it's also so far out of the box in so many ways <laughs> for what this show the, was. The yeah. The, 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 a big What's, swing. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you have, uh, you know, you have, 
you have uh, three huge giants of this this show working on it with with Paul Dini and Bruce Tim and Kevin all working together to create the story and collaborating and, and bringing it to life. And, you know, the, how this ended up on Fox is still like a head scratcher. It's pretty funny uh, hearing Kevin talk about that. But, yeah, I think all of that works together for a really interesting episode. And the and the Batman parts, I think it does further that mutual respect that Batman and Raish have for each other. It adds that, that odd dynamic and the differentiation is you mentioned when we were talking to Kevin about the, the Raish character versus a Joker or a, you know, killer croc or any of these sort of maniacal villains who are simply out to murder people for the fun of it versus this kind of mutual respect that they have uh, between, between the two. So yeah, I, I think all of that works together. And I think looking at the episode, understanding a little bit more of the, of the uh, subtext and, and things that weren't, you weren't able to quite appreciate, you know, he's out seeking revenge for this lady of the night that was victimized mm-hmm. by this guy, you know, and it's, it's, it's very old West on, on the nose for that stuff. So I, I really enjoyed this episode, um, especially of course, with the insight from Kevin and, and, and the, the eye, eyes of an adult sort of being able to appreciate the influences and the, mm-hmm. the stylization of the episode. So uh, for all those reasons, I ended up giving it a, a pretty strong eight out of 10 for my score. Yeah, I give it the exact same score. Um, I think it's uh, I think it's a really, really uh, like we like for all the reasons you've just talked about. It's so outside of the box. Uh, the story told is is an interesting one. Like we said, Jonah Hex is not the squeaky clean protagonist. Uh, you know, as we talked about with Kevin, there was sort of this idea that he was a you know an East Texan Confederate, you know, old 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 Confederate, and that he's not necessarily you know. He's not he, his ledger isn't necessarily the cleanest, but he's got sort of this moral code. And at the end of the day, he's he's nearing the end of his life, and he's he's sort of a, a little bit uh, you know a man out of time almost. And uh, and I and I, I like that aspect of it. I think it's really interesting take on him to not do maybe you know he's not he's not young you know quipping. He's this old he's this old man nearing the end of his life, nearing the end of his adventures, and. And I, I just think that's a that's a really interesting slant to take on Jonah Hex on top of just the fact that we got a Jonah Hex story at all. Um, I think that's that's really interesting. And then and then the ending with with Raish, as we talked about, it's the the very unique uh Raish and uh, Batman relationship that he doesn't have with with uh you know any of his other villains really, which is that he there is this sort of respect and I, and the the personal nature in which Raish appeals uh appeals to Batman like give this father a little more time with his son like who better than Batman would would want you know who who Bruce Wayne would not stand in the way of that right like it's 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 a it's kind of a beautiful poetic moment when he you know when he asks just let let me take my boy like let me let me just go and and you know he's the the implication being like he's old he's going to die soon i just want to be with him when he goes and mm. and and who is you know batman's not going to stand in the way of that there'll be you know there'll be plenty of times to as he says cross swords later later on so it's uh i i just i just think that ending is fantastic and and the whole the whole idea of of doing this story doing an old west story it's also like 
1995, there wasn't like a lot of cowboy stuff around. Like, I feel like it's almost, you know, you can do a Western now, you know, there's Quentin Tarantino movies and, you know, big AAA blockbuster video games where you're, where you're a cowboy now. I feel like this episode maybe wouldn't be as much of out of left field if they, if it was on an episode, you know, let's say an episode of Batman Caped Crusader did a Jonah Hex episode or Batman the Brave and the Bold, if, as we talk about from time to time, it wouldn't seem so out of left field. But the, you know, cow, cowboys, as, as we talked about with Kevin, steampunk wasn't really an aesthetic that existed yet. We'll certainly talk more about that in visuals in a second. So just the uniqueness and the willing to take such a big swing and the, you know, the specific way they told the story and and the, you know, the era, age, age that Jonah Hex is in the story. And then that ending with, uh, as I said, with with Raish and Batman on the tarmac is, I, I think, just fantastic. Yeah. And I think last thing I'll just add to that is I think now it would be easy. It's easy to look through in 2023 eyes. You've had sort of the the burned out hero um, trope is sort of like a, a tried and true Hollywood story nowadays. You know, we've seen it done so incredibly well with the. Uh, the Logan movie, like the, you know, the old man Logan movie and all, all, you know, everything since then that it's come out and sort of repeated this, you know, I'm too old for this stuff, tired out, worn out hero who's on his last leg. Like that's again, at the, at this time in 1995, you, you didn't quite have as many stories like that outside of those classic Western stories that, that, you know, were the direct influence for a lot of this, this material. So I love that, you know, history continues to repeat itself. It's, you know, time is a flat circle and all of that stuff. But, you know, when you look at this at that time, this was this was not drawing off of any of that modern stuff that we've seen now, and especially in superheroes that plays so much into that same theme. So, again, another outside of the, the box thought of like bringing in the, those, uh, you know, worn down uh, cowboys, uh, you know, back on for one last rodeo, so to speak. So, yeah, I, I love love that. All of that, uh, I think, certainly reflects in our, our high scores and, and high praise, certainly for the plot. All right, Liam, let's move on to our next category, which is going to be animation and visuals. We talked a lot about some of the influence already. And uh, with Kevin, we talked a lot about the fun stuff. So we don't have to hit all of the high notes again uh, for this, but we can certainly uh, discuss some of the uh, the things that maybe we didn't talk about or any of the things that we want to reiterate. But Dong Yang, uh, responsible for the animation for this week. And uh, it's interesting because I think one of the, the things that Kevin mentioned uh, uh, specifically when he was talking about uh, some of the the action sequences specifically that final sword fight was he was so pleased with the way that that final sword fight came out that it didn't bother him as much that characters were off model or what have you and i i think that that directly certainly was one of the first things when you and i watched it together uh that this this noted like there's a lot of wonky looking character models here in this episode uh and it varies from scene to scene um and it's interesting because we don't have we don't have that much screen time for characters that would have a standard model so it's maybe it's just more glaringly obvious in those few short sequences our our opening sequence at the the old folks home with 
Batman versus the uh, and and Robin versus the uh, the League of Shadows, or and and or that final sequence with uh, with Raish on the tarmac. But um, yeah, overall, the I think the the character models were what stood out as the big negative for me, which is a fraction of what we ended up getting for the episode as far as as far as I'm concerned for for low lights. Absolutely. Uh, I think the I think the strong points, of course, for the episode are are going to be the, you know, certainly the set pieces. We talked about how with Kevin that these are all new character models and uh, they had a lot of fun with that. That final sequence on the once they board the Phoenix and they, you know, they're. Uh, the the fisticuffs, the hand to hand combat that uh, that that Jonah Hex has with the with the men on board, and then the the sword fight, and it's interesting because I think when I watched the sword fight a second time, I think the animation for that and the way that the characters ended up being animated, while it doesn't look standard for maybe the rest of the the BTOS run, it is very streamlined and similar to the superman the animated series uh animation that we would see it is i think it's a little less there's a, there's a little less cell shading and some of that is because i think most of the action takes place during the day outside on the hull of the ship right um or on the deck of the ship but it's so you don't have as much shadow and and things things that uh that add those those cell shading but uh it is like the the bend and stretch and and stuff that uh, that Kevin alluded to really does create more of a dynamic streamlined look that we would later see you know in the next series. So mm-hmm. um, I think when looking at that, I was like, okay, all right, I can see the DNA of how this stuff was streamlined and made to look a little bit more, a little bit more. Uh, um, you know, uh, easier to animate, I think from, from an episode like this, where you're in the final run of this, of this, this BTOS series. So very interesting. Um, again, I don't know how much of that had to do with the, the, the daylight and, uh, affecting everything, but I, it was just something that I noticed. I felt like the characters could have also been the storyboard artists eventually worked on some of the Superman stuff, of course, too. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I, I did notice, notice that, but, um, yeah, I think, I think the we talked about the airplanes and the way that the airplanes looked. I will just say I didn't I, we didn't get a get a chance to talk about it with uh, Kevin directly, but I love period piece Rachel Ghoul's top hat and oh, incredible, <laughs> incredible. Yeah, we really should have mentioned that to him. I yeah, I, I don't know if that's a uh, if that's a, a who who gets the credit for designing that uh, that outfit, but it's just perfect. Like. The tallest top hat you've ever seen. The monocle. The it's just <laughs> Mr. Peanut. Absolutely. It's so... <laughs> He's got the spats. He's got it all. You know. Oh, it's incredible. Yeah, he he looks fantastic. He uh, he wears it well. But yes, there's there's so much as as we talked about with Kevin in that in that third act, especially that's just so unique. As you said, they basically had to design a whole world from from the ground up, as he said with his. Uh, you know, with people that worked on the backgrounds all the way to the, you know, the incidental characters, the extras, if you will, uh, all the way through to, you know, our giving, uh, you know, Arcady and, 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 uh, and Raish their, their unique looks. This, as we said, older haggard, uh, Jonah Hex, which, I mean, as we've alluded to all week on social media, he does bear a striking resemblance. This, uh, this older Jonah Hex, striking resemblance to, 
uh, former Minnesota governor and uh, pro wrestling hall of famer, Jesse, the body Ventura. It is, it, it must be said. <laughs> yeah, that, that was an immediate, like, I, you know, we've talked about predicting the future and retroactive Easter eggs. I don't think they could have predicted that one in a million years that drawing draw, the, the drawing of old man Jonah Hex would so strongly resemble uh, Jesse, the body, but uh, yeah, once you see it, you really can't unsee it. And it's uh, it's, it's made it's made this week extremely fun. In fact, I'm going to cut in here. I, I created a sequence using uh, the wonderful world of AI. What would it sound like if Jesse the Body Ventura was cast for this episode as uh, as Jonah Hex? Let's roll that. It would appear we have ourselves a government spy. A rather disreputable looking one at that. Well, Mr. Spy, I'd say your plan has failed and the railroad is doomed. I ain't no spy, I'm Jonah Hex, and I don't give a tinker's cuss about no railroad. I've come to get you, Arcady Duvall, on account of what you've done to that girl back east. <laughs> you mean to say you've tracked me across 12 states because of this? Well, there's also the matter of a $200 reward. That don't hurt my feelings none. You're either a liar or a fool. I've been known to be foolish, but ain't nobody calls me a liar and goes to bed happy. Give him a lead box. Unbelievable. I uh, I was rolling when you when you sent that to me the uh, during the week here, and uh, I think it's posted on our socials as well. If you'd like to just just isolate uh, robot robot <laughs> Jesse Ventura voicing uh, voicing Jonah Hex's lines, but it's it matches up almost a little too well. It's it's so uh, it's so funny Com- combined with the visual as we mentioned of. Uh, the uh, the long the long white uh, skullet I believe that's referred to, mm-hmm. um, just uh, yeah really that, I love that uh, that Jonah Hex design it's so striking the big yellow eye mm-hmm. that he has with it on, the uh, uh, you know and the and the hole in his face and everything is uh, just uh, just incredible I believe I believe Kevin credits Bruce Tim with uh, with that specific character design um, so. Yeah, just just great. The like I said, it's it's hard to find too much fault. Uh, I think Kevin even says that it's like, who cares if they're on model when like everything else looks so good? Uh, I I I will say I and the only other thing that I really wanted to mention in in visuals uh, that uh, we've probably already uh, may have alluded to in the interview with Kevin, I think. Uh, is uh, as mentioned, Robin as as Kevin always likes to point out, Robin fights dirty and the. The shot of Robin just like squatting down, throwing the punch, and then we see the the very expressive sort of Spider-Man like eyes of the uh, the League of Assassins uh, ninja uh, as uh, as as Robin <laughs> connects connects with his uh, his below the belt shot. We'll say uh, just just perfect, incredible comedy. The way the, the way it's cut around as 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 we've talked about, you can't necessarily show the impact of it. But uh, it's uh, it's incredible, and I think it was also used in a lot of uh, as we talked about off the air, a lot of Fox Kids ads used mm-hmm. this clip mm-hmm. um, of of Robin punching this guy in the groin. So uh, really, that's that's a moment from the series that uh, that always sticks out to me uh, from this episode as well. It's just uh, as uh, another another example as uh, as as is often the case in. Uh, robin appearances with uh with a kevin altieri directed episode is he's uh he's a dirty fighter he likes to uh he likes to uh to find a way to work that in and it's uh it's a great little sequence at the start with uh 
with Batman and Robin arriving to take on the uh, the the ninjas while Raish and Ubu go collect uh, Duvall. So, no, no, I agree. I think I think one of the hallmarks of this episode, and we 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 uh, we briefly mentioned it to to Kevin with with standards and practices rules about things and what could and couldn't be seen is there's a lot of cutting around and, and showing things without showing it. The, the scene where, where Jonah Hex gets captured, uh, after, you know, in, uh, initially by, uh, by Arcades men, he's, uh, it's only, sh- you only see the shadows of them tackling him. And then there's like four or five closed punches. Like you hear the impact and you see the shadows punching something like you can't quite make out what it is but they're clearly connecting and beating jonah hex and that's something you couldn't show the closed fist violence with but the artistic way of hey we're gonna shoot up you see the top of the cave and the light the light uh you know casting these shadows up there and then them beating him the shadows are beating him um that and then the the even the opening sequence of 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 jonah hex as he arrives into uh into the small town is you you don't they don't show his face you only see you know knees up or or uh, knees down or or mm-hmm. neck down for the first little opening sequence but you see everybody's reaction to this horrific looking scarred man and then even when the people in the the saloon see him they also sort of freak out and then you don't get the full reveal you only get the half of it, the good side of his face and then eventually you turn and see this horribly scarred man just what the storytelling of what you don't see uh obviously a hallmark of this of this show that's how they got around so much of the the standards and practices but man uh that the storytelling that you're able to do through music the you know the voice acting and certainly even the visuals of what you don't see the implied visuals are is so so strong and uh you know uh done so well repeatedly over in this episode just for all those reasons, uh, you know, we talked about it already, just the, the steampunk aesthetic, uh, even with the characters being off model in, in some right. of the scenes. Uh, we didn't even talk about Rachel Ghoul's cape movement in the final uh, on the tarmac in the final mm-hmm. scene. We get some cape movement there from from Rache and uh, very dramatic, like Batman is standing there with his cape at his back and then like wraps it around himself when he's leaving. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. very it's very, very dramatic movements in that in that last scene. Yeah, it's uh, it's great. Uh, I think this episode is really strong. Maybe surprised me, especially based on how off model everybody looked at that at the beginning. But uh, <laughs> makes up for it with all these new character models and the different things that uh, that Kevin mentioned, uh, you know, throughout the throughout the episode there. But I ended up giving it a pretty strong eight out of ten. Maybe even based solely on that swashbuckling finale of a sword yeah. fight. Really, really fun stuff in that one too. Yeah, I actually, uh, I went one point higher. I went nine out of 10. I just think it's, uh, yeah, I, I will say, uh, especially Robin's face, I feel like just kept changing sizes and that <laughs> took me out of it a little bit. So that might've knocked it down from the perfect score. But but as, uh, as like I said, as as Kevin said in his, uh, in his interview with us, uh, when the rest of it looks so good, you can, uh, you can forgive little things like that a lot. And that's certainly the case with that. Uh, really that entire third act but as you mentioned yes him him sort of skulking around in the in the factory beforehand and when he hides uh, uh, when he hides under the hay to fool the guard and then oh i love that sequence so uh, good fantastic and then again you talk about one of the one of the cuts where you get the the fist flying towards the camera and then the big red flash and then the guards on the ground just uh just great stuff so 
Um, just yeah, and and as as uh, as Kevin talked about, just the fact that they had to design an entire an entire town, and then an, uh, all these vehicles, and then the soldiers, and and the crowd, you know, and the crowd listening to the uh, the governor, whoever give their speech. Uh, yeah, it's just it's just a, an incredible achievement for. I mean, this is just this isn't this isn't a standalone movie. This wasn't this was a, just one of uh, of however many you know, the last, the last 10 or 20, you know, 22 minute cartoons they got to do for Fox, uh, for Fox kids here. This was just one of them. And the fact that they put so, they were able to put so much time and effort into uh, creating this entire world, uh, you know, essentially it, it ends up being a one and done because we don't ever, we don't get any more uh, adventures of Jonah Hex in the old West. So it's uh, the amount of effort is just, it's just staggering and, and how good everything looks, especially in that third act. It's just, uh, it's just incredible. Absolutely. Uh, and I'm, somebody's going to tweet if we don't mention it, but yes, of course, Jonah Hex does return in, uh, in justice league unlimited, but that doesn't count. Uh, so, <laughs> Oh yeah, well, yeah. He's a, he's the younger. That's like uh, I don't know. He's played by well, would I would you know honestly I would say he kind of looks like Josh Brolin, but that brings up uh, that brings up an uh, unfortunate comparisons to the live action film. So he's he's a much younger man at that point, and he he looks looks and and sounds completely different. So it's really not uh, not comparable in my opinion to and, the, yeah, the and hex we yeah. see here. Yeah, and it's not the, the the it's not a Jonah Hex focused episode. He's a he's a character in the show, but he's it's not com- the star of the episode as as he was in this case. So we will move on, Liam, to our next category, which is going to be music. And I believe you said at the top, Todd Haven responsible for the music. Correct. Not a not a name. We're another. This is another one. I think maybe towards the back end of these BTOS episodes, there were more. Uh, I I don't wouldn't say fill in, but not full time working on the series uh, composers. Um, I, I will say I expected maybe more like old West music. Like I was expecting uh, the forgotten almost, you know, harmonica, straight you know, up harmonica. a lot of harmonica and acoustic guitar and, and that sort of thing. And we don't, we get a little bit of it. And we certainly get that. I think at, like at the beginning when, when Hex is walking in the town and, mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, and at the end when he's loading, you know, when he loads Duval up on his shoulder and he's going to take him to take him to face justice, we get we get touches of it, and uh, but it's uh, we get we still get a lot of like grand horns and and things like when the phoenix is revealed and stuff. They don't they don't lean too hard on the 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 I guess the the pat old west music aesthetic for this. Like they still go for more, and maybe that plays into the you know the sort of the again now we would call it steampunk but the sort of retro uh you know the retro science fiction the old west science fiction of this giant uh you know this giant factory and this giant flying ship with uh with cannons and machine guns where it didn't necessarily feel appropriate to do you know gunslinger you know this town ain't big enough for the two of us music but yeah didn't necessarily lay into the the old west aesthetic as much as you might expect them to yeah it's definitely i mean it it is the first thing you hear when the title card pops up and then Mm -hmm. as uh as we get his reveal uh jonah him being jonah hex jonah hex is uh walking through the town there's some harmonica there it does play interestingly enough it plays in that final sequence at on the tarmac when they reveal that it's arcady uh 
up to that point, it's strings, it's sort of like laying, laying low in the background. And then once they cut and you kind of get the verbal reveal that this is Arcady, you you see you they show his face and then the harmonica comes back in and he sort of melds the harmonica in with the strings for that final sequence. But to your mm-hmm. point, the reveal of the phoenix as the shadow is cast across this town and uh, as it's as it's laying waste to this uh, to this railroad town, uh, that is all strings and horns and and you know uh, some flute as as uh, as they're thrown overboard and stuff like that. So it doesn't it doesn't completely. Uh, rely or lay in as like you said as you might expect to a more western theme and i don't know if that was hey we we're already doing so much that's different when it comes to the the animation you know the storytelling that we're doing here we don't want it to feel completely alien like we're going completely outside of the box so let's keep it somewhat grounded in what we're used to in the orchestra um, it's probably also using the resources that they had available. You have a giant full orchestra to to score your uh, to score your episode, so you're going to use some of those other instruments uh, for the the more serious, heavy scenes. I really like the way that that the sword fight is is done. It starts with horns and strings. Um, it actually starts. There was like a a similar pacing to the strings. Um, at the beginning of it. And we'll talk about it here, why that, that matters so much, but it's the similar tempo and, and pacing to the Metallo theme that brings in the strings. It's a very similar feeling. It's not exact. It's not the same tune, but it's the same tempo and pace as the sword fight is starting. And it's like, uh, it, it, it just, I was like, man, that, that reminds me so much of the Metallo piece. Like you could tweak that, tune a little bit and get the metallo tune out of it so very interesting there that i noticed but then as the uh as the the phoenix begins to crash you get this one sequence that's completely drums that has just like a little bit of bass behind it but it's Mm -hmm. mostly just drums playing and then it cuts to harmonica mixed with strings as they're as they're sort of evacuating the uh or as as uh as arcadian and a hex come face to face in this final sequence where he's begging for his life. So, uh, yeah, overall it is, there are different portions of it that certainly feel like that set in the old West, your traditional Western, uh, music, but it's not, it's not a complete overhaul. Um, I probably would have liked to have hear, heard that a little bit more if I'm if I'm being honest with you, uh, which is why I, I ended up giving music a, a seven out of ten. I still think there's a lot of great sequences. Oh, yeah. I think that 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 sword fight, the way that the music sort of is, is sort of this amalgamation of everything. And especially that one piece with just drums with just like a little yes. little tiny tune behind it. I really liked it. So uh, but still seven out of ten is still a pretty good score, I'd say. Yeah. Uh, in fact, I agree so much. I gave it the exact same score of seven out of 10. Um, definitely. Like you said, definitely some memorable moments. The, the all drum sequence or mostly drum sequence I did really enjoy. Um, but uh, yeah, not necessarily like I, and there, there certainly is like a Jonah Hex theme. I think we hear as we, as we just talked about, but it's not a, you know, it's not one that necessarily sticks with you the way that some of the other grand character themes uh, do. So still a a very strong score from both of us, though. 
Absolutely. Liam, let's roll on to our final category of the day, which is going to be our voice acting. Uh, We talked about some of our players already uh, and some of their previous roles. So we'll just uh, touch on them briefly here for this week's episode. But uh, let's go ahead and talk about the voice cast and uh, give some scores for our voice actors. Absolutely. So as mentioned, we had Elizabeth Montgomery, uh, Samantha from the classic Bewitched television series herself uh playing the uh as she is credited barmaid uh, sure. In this episode. <laughs> sure sure i guess we can call it that uh we also have uh, as mentioned uh michael bell as the airman we have william bryan as the sheriff and uh sitting senator or former i believe he's now uh just recently left office actually but uh uh senator patrick lee leahy lehi is lehi how is it leahy leahy senator patrick Patrick Leahy as uh, as the governor uh, gets a gets a gets a nice long speech there, and uh, and uh, and that's that's just kind of a weird fun note that that gentleman, in addition to being a, a long serving senator in the state of Vermont, happens to just pop up in a lot. He's a big Batman guy, mm-hmm. as it turns out, and uh, you a know. lot of Batman. I think he's been in all like a bunch of the last several batman themed movies that i know i'm aware that's right i feel like so technically batman forever which he was in uh came out first Mm -hmm. though i imagine he recorded his lines for this episode before batman forever uh came out so uh or maybe concurrently who knows but uh (laughs) but yes these uh those are his sole credits if you look at it it's batman forever batman and robin the dark knight Oh, I'm sorry. He was in My Wife is a Vampire, too. So. <laughs> <laughs> and then the uh, the Dark Knight Rises and Batman v Superman. So, uh, yeah, fun, fun little cameo from a uh, from at the time, a sitting uh, civil servant there. But, uh, yeah, getting to our, our main cast, we, of course, have uh, Bill McKinney as Jonah Hex, uh, as mentioned, though, perhaps to a layman like uh like uh like ourselves maybe best known for his role in uh, deliverance he also worked alongside as as kevin mentioned people like uh john wayne people like clint eastwood he is a he is you know that era of of hollywood in, in the way that superhero it's something that i think is ha- hard to comprehend maybe for our generation and and people younger than us but it's like the way that westerns dominated uh cinema the way that superheroes or or other sort of you know you know over the top action movies maybe in in past uh, in the past couple of decades have uh westerns were everywhere and mr mckinney uh, had a role in quite a few of them so uh yeah him playing the the aging the aging cowboy going out for you know one of his last adventures here uh you know wasn't wasn't too much of a of a tough ask, I don't think for uh, for Mr. McKinney, but uh, I yeah I love I love old man Jonah Hex. Like I think he's got a he's just got a real funny like sort of sardonic wit about him, and then he's he's not uh, he might not be the the nicest guy or the most upstanding citizen. He uh, he clearly has this sort of this this ultimate code that he lives by about the about what's right and what's wrong, and he's gonna you know see to it that this this Duval guy, no matter what, you know he's old, he's swinging around on ropes as everything blows up around him in this big flying machine, but but gosh darn it, he's gonna get his man. He's a bounty hunter, and he's gonna get his man. <laughs> yeah, he's. Uh, I think I think his performance is very much in the style of like that that old 
that old Western. I mean, he's, he's playing a, a cowboy from an old Western. Like that's what he's doing. Um, I think if you aren't familiar with that style of acting or that particular characterization of someone, you might think that these lines are maybe just kind of being understated or, you know, he's just kind of going through the motions cause he doesn't show a lot of emotion, but that's, that's the characterization of that style character. Oh, yeah. Very, you know, very humble and down to earth. He's got a, he's got a line or two that, that'll let you know that he's not, you know, he's not going to roll over and play dead. He's mm-hmm. got a couple quips. They're going to be understated, but he'll cut you with them. Like, you know, he, he certainly goes out of his way to make sure that he tries to, tries to ma- match wits with Arcady and he does so pretty well. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I think if you, if you're not familiar with the old westerns or how those characters tended to talk in those movies, you might not be a fan of this performance. But I think our love and appreciation for that old style of Hollywood, and specifically a character that was was uh, was written like this, I he fits that character that 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 quiet humility just going about his business this is his job he's going to bring killers to justice and then he's going to go have a drink and he's going to talk the same way that he does to you know the madam at the at the saloon that he does to the sheriff and talk mm-hmm. talk to the to the uh to the evil guy that that uh did whatever he did to the the woman that he's trying to defend like he's he talks to them all with the same tone nothing gets too excited he's not too excitable he's not too stressed he's not too angry uh, he's just kind of monotone, but I think that that's the characterization versus like this guy can't act. So yeah, I, Absolutely. I, I appreciated that, that characterization that, uh, that he chose to give for this character. Absolutely. And uh, I think we talked about this a little bit with Kevin as well, but the, it's understated on purpose to your point, like, which is basically what you've just been saying for three minutes. I'm just repeating it, but, uh, but no, I think like these, he's purposefully understated and, and not showing, you know, maybe a traditional cartoon voice actor emotion, but it's uh, it's pretty perfect when you realize, you know, that's, that's the role he was, uh, he was hired to play. Um, and, uh, and speaking of some of our other voice actors, we of course have the great Malcolm McDowell, as we talked about, we already talked about his uh, uh, with with Kevin. We talked about the 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 book series and movies that sort of inspired this character and how uh, Malcolm McDowell had played that role in uh, in the movie. And so, uh, who else but him could get the could get the call for uh, for Arcady Duval? And uh, obviously, the first of many. We've talked about Mr. McDowell several times on this show due to his role as Metallo. Mm-hmm later on but uh seeing here seeing here as as it is sometimes fun when we when we find the uh, the first appearance of one of our recurring voice actors here we have uh mr mcdowell and uh, as we talked about uh he's just perfect it's just this this slimy rich creep like he's just he's just he just thinks he's better than everyone and he's like he said he's you know i mean the first thing you see of him is him whipping the the factory workers and Dave Warner in a moment here, but him playing off of Raish, playing off of uh, Mr. McKinney as Jonah Hex. Uh, he's just, there's just, there's nothing redeemable about this guy. He's just, he's just such a slime ball. He's slimy. He's like, you want him to see him get his come, come up in. Mm-hmm. Like, it's everything that a that a smarmy villain should be and uh i think that again that tells more of the it's more of the stuff that they 
communicated without showing, right? So you don't mm-hmm. know specifically. There's allusions to what he did, but you don't know specifically uh, what harm befell this woman that that uh, that that Jonah Hex is after to to bring him to justice for. But everything that this guy character is characterized as explains that this is a guy that you want to see get his get his ass handed to him right mm-hmm. you want to see justice served to this guy he's mean to people he's overly uh he's overly brutal to the people that are working for him he has seems to have no qualms with trying to boil a man alive he's taking uh he's taking quite enjoyment like the line where he says let's see if we can make the other side match to jonah yes. hex as, as he hangs him over a boiling uh cauldron of of hot liquid like this man this guy is straight up evil and then at the end his the what like the the icing on the cake is once he's finally cornered and he's about to get justice served to him he's cowering and throws money and begs you know here take money please mm-hmm. uh and and uh you know clearly is is at the end of his rope and suddenly when he doesn't have the the uh the ability to to feel like he's this this uh he doesn't have the advantage in the in the fight anymore he's cowering and the sniveling little little person that he is comes out so yeah uh, a great characterization we already talked about the the dynamic between him and his 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 dad for the episode david Mm -hmm. warner and the the bombastic boisterous uh you know delivery of all of his lines and the just the uh the the haughtiness that that's come and arrogance that come from uh the delivery that he gives every every line that he has uh i I mean unsurprisingly uh in a a tremendous voice actor and uh as we talked about uh, laying the groundwork for what would be a a a defining role for this series uh in metallo later on but uh interestingly i didn't struggle with the oh this is metallo uh characterization with his voice for some reason that's usually something that i struggle with we've talked about that countless times when somebody plays dual roles or you know plays a certain role but comes back later on to do a different role i didn't i didn't quite listen to this and hear oh that's metallo every single time that Mm -hmm. he spoke other than recognizing oh okay that's mr mcdowell clearly so um i think that also adds something to it so uh yeah i i really enjoy this performance and i think that uh character you know if you would if you would you know uh cast somebody else in that role i you wouldn't want to see the the justice brought to him quite as much absolutely yes the there's yeah there's just nothing redeemable about this guy he's uh and uh and yeah mr mcdowell plays him so well and that's a great point too we talk about that all the time when we when we find one of our iconic voice actors in a in a different role sometimes it can be distracting it can be uh it can take you out of it the fact that he's able to even though it's still as you said still very clearly malcolm mcdowell uh you know his voice but uh it's just there's not uh yeah it doesn't feel like the same character at all which is just again a credit to, to him as an actor and to of course to andrea romano as the voice uh director and uh then yeah our uh, our main three to talk about here other than mr hex uh we have uh we have david warner as mentioned as uh rachel ghoul ends up being his swan song for this original batman the animated series um obviously he does pop up a few more times in episodes we've yet to cover for obvious reasons uh but uh man he's uh he's great in the flashback sequences that we've just talked about with malcolm mcdowell and then as i, I talked to i was so uh, drawn in 
by that that final scene uh you know at the airport with with him talking to batman and you know he, there's there's a little bit of humor when he's you know when he says like you know it, did you really think in in 600 years i'd only sired one kid like and like he's this sort of a this sort of wit to, wit about him and and then there's uh you know that that just very completely it's not there's no there's no chest thumping there's no there's no you know secret plot behind the words when he just says you know let me let me take my boy and go home like there's mm-hmm. he's so so brilliant um is mr warner in this episode i was just really struck it it really almost kind of uh obviously mr warner has passed away uh within the last year it's it's uh but uh Man, I was just really struck by uh, again an actor who is not is certainly better known for either his work on the stage or his work in front of the camera. But my 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 goodness, he was just born to play Rachel Gould. I'm sure we've sung his praises every other time we've gotten to talk about him as well. But this maybe being his his last episode of the original series, you're like, gosh, I could have done could have done like ten more episodes of of Rachel Gould showing up just to hear hear more uh, more chances for David Warner to play him. It's really a shame that we didn't get a Justice League race episode. Yeah. I feel like that's a, I feel like there's money left on the table, so to speak, with mm-hmm. that uh, with that one. You know, I, when- uh, I think we talked about when we reviewed it. He was supposed to be in Wake the Dead, I believe, but uh, was uh, was that that's one of the few. I I know uh, just people that worked on JLU have kind of said that the the whole bat embargo was a bit overblown by fans as to who they were and were not allowed to use. But uh, with Raish being a, a member of the cast of, uh, of Batman Begins, he was, uh, he was deemed off limits in that era. So mm-hmm. yeah, we missed out on at least one more appearance by Mr. Warner in all likelihood. Yeah. But to your point, I think that that final, that final scene, there's such a roller coaster sort of, a, of emotion that he has to explain, you know, he's, he's trying, he, he, is trying to and successfully i think you one one could argue that he manipulates batman into letting him go he he his sweet talking and the way that he characterizes this i'm just a poor dad with my son and i just want to spend these final few you know however many years he has left let me be like he's able to convince batman who's this uh, you know, who's this staunch man of justice? He's he's Jonah Hex in this story, and he lets him go. He lets the bad guy go, albeit for different reasons, obviously. But he Raish manages to outsmart Batman to use his son as an emotional tool to let to have Batman let him go. So this roller coaster that he has to give of uh, you know, he talks about how uh how Duval is I a, was too unbalanced and cruel and you can feel the disappointment in the the characterization that he gives of that his son in that moment you know even as he realized he was too unbalanced and cruel you know that he he wouldn't be able to succeed me in my in my mission like you can feel the disappointment that he has in arcady in that moment like you know this was the guy that I set up but he was he was a loose cannon that wouldn't just be cool (laughs) you know and he's he's communicating that disappointment of that character and then he comes over to the but then he comes to the next point where he we get the reveal of him you know that this is his son and he he has the compassionate moment of you know what father could could ever forget his son and you get this really sad sappy moment where you almost feel like 
is Raish like a is he compassionate? Does Batman does Batman need to empathize with Raish in this moment? Which is hilarious because we know the the manipulation that that he's already done in his re- using Talia, his own daughter, to to manipulate Batman and attempt to to placate or to play into Batman's emotions and sympathy and and compassion. And then we know later on the type of craziness that happens eventually in Batman Beyond. Uh, so yeah, Raish is a master manipulator, and I feel like this scene is a very subtle way of revealing well, that type of manipulation that he's able to do with just a verbal, com- you know, with his his verbal his verbal speak, his conversational skills. So, Mister Warner had to communicate all of that sort of subtext and the emotion and the, you know, the the sad the sadness of this moment of the realization mm-hmm. that his son is dying, even though he didn't care for his son you know he let his son rot in with heart in hard labor for 50 years um you know so but this is really just another key and an excuse to get let batman let him go so uh all of that comes out in that performance i think for mr warner i think in the scenes that we get during the flashback are great also his frustration with arcady uh we talked about it with kevin his uh at least I don't know if you can call it compassion in that sense, but his willingness to try and spare human life to warn people to get out of his way. Like you're either with me or against me, get out of my way. I'm going to destroy all these buildings. So everybody get out. Like you stay here at your own peril. He says, so uh, all of that is fun stuff. Uh, a wonderful performance from Mr. Warner. Not, not surprising, you know, based on everything we know about his, uh, his uh his past performances uh, this is another one where maybe he took the back seat for or he, he was more of a supporting player in this uh this episode as opposed to his other appearances but still a a really fun appearance from absolutely absolutely can't uh can't say enough good things and yeah wrapping up we of course have oh who's left just our our regular dynamic duo Lauren Lester as Robin doesn't get much to do here, but uh, nor does Kevin Conroy as Batman, because as we've been talking about for the last hour or so, uh, there's uh, there's not a lot of Batman and Robin in this episode uh, across our, our 22 minutes or 21 minutes, as we as we found out a little extra time cut off due to it being a, a Saturday morning airing. But uh, yeah, uh, still still solid job from our, our dynamic duo, as one might expect. And uh, that will lead us towards, I guess, our scores here. So um, everything. Uh, Sorry, but- I will. I will mention one thing. Mm-hmm. Batman, as you mentioned, doesn't get a whole lot, but I did love the line where, uh, where right at the beginning, Raish is uh, walking through the old folks' home, and uh, he mentions that uh, the the people they they don't have to worry about the attendance in the in the uh, old folks' home that they'll be asleep for hours, but then you get this voiceover of of Batman saying, "But I won't," and then he swoops in to fight the League of Shadows. So I again, yes. not a ton for right. Batman to do here, uh, but I did love that line. That was uh, <laughs> that was a classic. You know, you could see that in a, a comic book panel, and it was delivered with uh, with expertise, unsurprisingly, by uh, the the late great Kevin Conroy. Absolutely, absolutely. Maximizing your minutes, I believe that's called, uh, mm-hmm. as Mr. Conroy does there. Um, so for all the reasons we've just been heaping praise upon this voice cast, I really didn't feel like I could give it anything but a perfect 10 out of 10 uh, for my voice act. Like I said, I, lo- I love the understated cowboy, you know, playing playing like a cowboy in an Old West uh, picture. I-, I love that for Mr. McKinney. And then uh, 
uh, Malcolm McDowell and David Warner as our our villains of of this piece. Just uh, just outstanding, just absolutely outstanding. Um, so didn't really feel like I had a choice but to give it the perfect score this time. There you go, um, and I gave the same exact score, a perfect ten out of ten. Uh, agree wholeheartedly with everything. We just heaped a bunch of praise on everybody and said how great they were. So I don't I don't know if uh, we could we could go uh, go any further with uh, with without giving tens. So yeah, uh, wholeheartedly agree with that. Worthy of high scores for both of us. All right, Liam, let's total up. Oh, that is the bonus oh. point sound. There I haven't heard that in a while. I thought it was broken. That's right. It's been a, been a while, but uh, bonus point sound there, which of course means that uh, one of us has a bonus point, and uh, it is me. It is I that have the bonus point. So, uh, Liam, I'm just going to award this. Uh, we already touched on it briefly. We don't have to go in depth, but I love the out of the box. We're going to pitch a... 19 minutes of a 21 minute episode Mm -hmm. not featuring batman and featuring this hero that uh probably a lot of network executives had never heard of or thought about before and we're going to (laughs) tell this story and we're going to have fun and we're going to give all these homages to uh old western but not make it a straight up uh you know remember this type of episode uh it's influenced by but uh but we're not just going to do flashbacks to uh to old you know uh Absolutely. live action westerns here so uh i love all of that uh and uh as we mentioned at the top talking with kevin uh the wild wild west was an influence and that of course so near and dear oh. to both of us uh i love that that's something that uh played a direct role in inspiring this uh this uh this episode so uh a half a point for each of those those reasons out of the box why wild <laughs> west uh, make a single extra bonus point here so yeah and this this isn't a bonus point but if we didn't mention it that title card uh oh, outstanding okay. um okay. cal of course made a made a great uh great thumbnail for our for our episode this week based on it uh but yes, just the uh, it's it's so simple. It's you know just the the red circle on the black background and the the two saloon doors in there. Just just picture perfect and uh, yep. sets the mood immediately. So great uh, great stuff there. If we didn't mention it, good point. All right, Liam. Well, let's total up our final scores and adding everything up, including my extra bonus point. I end up with a very strong thirty four out of forty for this week's episode. What about you? That's right. So, uh, yeah. And I also ended up with a, the exact same final score of 34 <laughs> out of 40. I thought we were going to be a little different this week, but the, uh, the bonus point, uh, assured that we are in full agreement again, uh, this week here, but, uh, as we talk about rewatchability, it's funny because this episode technically is very much a one-off. Um, <laughs> it does have a returning villain, Mm-hmm. And as we we t- chatted about, Jonah Hex returns, but it's a younger Jonah Hex. In a... there's no references that we're aware of, right? I right. I don't. I don't even think Bruce Wayne doesn't even like acknowledge that he's heard of Jonah Fe- Jonah Hex in that episode, despite them interacting. So, um, so it's hard to say. Like you have to watch this. Like it's so integral to the DCAU. You have to watch it, or even that it's that integral to you know to this series or to the Rachel Ghoul character or any of that. But I can't bring my heart to say that it's a skip in any way because it's just so darn fun and so out of the box. I feel like this gets a thumbs up as we've just spent, you know, the last hour or so talking, just the the complete out of the box nature of it. It's so Mm -hmm. unique. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think it's even though it's not a, 
you know, it's not a, a, a plot driven, you know, it's not an episode that drives the overall plot of the series or the universe or whatever, but it's so unique. There is no episode like this really. There is, there is no other episode like this in the DCAU. Uh, like we, you know, we see allusions to the old West or we might see a cowboy aesthetic pop up here and there you know vigilantes and justice league unlimited and whatever but there's nothing like this episode anywhere else in the dcau so i think for that reason alone you you gotta watch watch or rewatch as we say it's, it's about rewatchability uh i think you gotta watch this one yeah i i i would agree i think it at least gets one thumb up. Um, Rachel Ghoul, I think you could argue it's a two thumb upper because mm-hmm. he, as you mentioned, you could miss this episode and it wouldn't affect Rachel's next appearance, but it does create an interesting dynamic. I think for Rache. it adds a little bit more to the story uh, of who he is. Again, I think it's sneakily a, a, a showcase in his ability to manipulate people (laughs) Um, through, through dialogue, through his storytelling and all of that. But uh, regardless, yeah, I, I I would recommend this. I would say if somebody's saying, Hey, for this, this last little run of episodes, I would, I would certainly recommend this over. um, I don't know. uh, The terrible trio. Like I'd recommend, we already talked about that episode. That's probably a bad example. I would recommend, I would recommend this over. I think I would recommend this over last week's episode. Like, Hey, I have 22 minutes. Which one should I watch? Watch showdown. It's, it's, it's interesting. It's different. Um, Especially if you're looking for just fun, 22 minutes of fun also. So yeah, I, I, I'm going to step out of the box just like this episode did. And I'll give two thumbs up for this one also, as far as rewatchability is concerned. Uh, totally, totally agree there. All right, Liam, let's begin to wrap things up. Thank you once again to our special guest correspondent, Kevin Altieri, for donating his time this week and coming on the program and chatting with us. Uh, as we mentioned, always good to have him on the podcast. Don't forget, if you would like to support the podcast, there are multiple ways to do so. We'll discuss a few of those right now. First and most popular is leaving a five-star review uh, on your favorite podcast app. We are on Apple and Spotify and all the other ancillary podcast apps that pick up our feed, but uh, Apple and Spotify are the most popular, it seems, these days. Uh, And Apple allows you to leave a little blurb about uh, the podcast when you leave a review. So if you do leave a review on Apple, uh, we and we... We uh, we're checking those reviews every single week. There was not a new one this week mm-hmm. at the time of recording. Uh, so no uh, no gift ski to give away this week. But uh, if you do leave a five star review and a little blurb about what you like about the podcast and you live within the continental United States, we have a little thank you gift to send out to you. Uh, so uh, if if that's you, if you haven't left a review before, stop what you're doing right now and leave a review. If you have left a review before, guess what? You're still eligible. You can leave multiple reviews for the same podcast. I don't know why that's a thing, but you can do that. So <laughs> leave another one and we'll send you another gift. If we've already gotten one, or even if you've done it a couple of years ago, you can leave another review later on. So 
uh, certainly do so. You can also interact if you're listening on Spotify with our poll of the week and our question of the week. Those are Spotify exclusives as a Spotify podcast. Liam, folks can also support us by following us on social media at DCAU Review, both on Instagram and Twitter. As we mentioned uh, when we were talking with Kevin, follow him at Altieri Arts. Uh, slide into his DMs and get a commission if you're in the market for something uh, from one of the uh, the 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 cr- creators of this amazing series. So uh, if you're looking for some artwork and you know, you're looking to get something commissioned, uh, Kevin did mention his uh, his his uh, commissions are open. So get in contact with him if that's something you're interested in. Don't forget also uh, you can support the our podcast directly if you want to check out the show notes. There is a direct link to support us financially by myself and Liam a cup of coffee, something to keep us awake when we are uh, trying to come up with ideas for things to podcast about or uh, or just <laughs> editing the podcast, as Liam mentioned in the past. That always helps. So uh, you can also get a piece of merchandise from our shop. That link is also in the show notes. Check that out. I'm sure there's going to be lots of Black Friday sales coming up here in the not-too-distant future. Liam, speaking of Black Friday, next week here in America is going to be the Thanksgiving holiday. So we're giving ourselves good old-fashioned holiday from our standard fare here on the podcast. So no new standard episode this week. But guess what? It's the season of giving. So that means we're still going to have a podcast next week. We're not leaving people empty-handed. In fact, we might even be so generous as to give two podcasts <laughs> in a single weekend. Who who could even fathom such an idea? Let's chat about what we'll be doing next weekend rather than dropping our standard fare here as we take a break from our DCAU content for the next week. That's right. So uh, first and foremost, we will have our now yearly tradition, which is we drop a bonus episode every Black Friday and we try to make it uh, somewhat themed to the the occasion, the shopping holiday, the biggest shopping holiday of the year. Uh, and uh, this year, I think we'll be focusing on uh, you know, as we've been talking about here and there, the uh, the DC Direct slash DC Collectibles Batman the Animated Series line has been somewhat resurrected by uh, by McFarlane as they now have the DC license. And not only are we getting repaints and reissues of some of the older figures, but we're even getting new figures like the Condiment King build a figure which recently came out so with that uh, with that in mind with hope once again on the horizon for new uh, dc direct batman the animated series figures we thought we would uh, we would send uh, santa todd our our wish list for <laughs> characters from uh, from batman the animated series and the new batman adventures that we would we would just love to see in this line before all is said and done and that uh that will be our Black Friday bonus. And then, as you mentioned, Cal, it's been a long time coming. Uh, we alluded to it on Twitter and I think other places. We always promised that we were going to do it. We didn't really know when. But we do still owe all of our listeners a review of the final issue of Batman The Adventures Continues Season 3. Speaking of Rachel Ghoul, uh, and uh, And we might, we're going to try to get that recorded uh, next week and, and drop that probably some other part over, over either Saturday or some, sometime that weekend we're going to drop it. I don't want to commit us to any hard, hard dates with the holidays. People are hard to say goodbye to Batman. The adventures continue. We don't want to do it. That's why we've been putting it off. 
It's true. Uh, yeah, we were uh, we weren't quite ready to say goodbye, but we're gonna try to get that done and try to get that put out sometime over that weekend as well. So at least one, but hopefully two bonus episodes coming out at you next weekend to uh, to make up for the fact that we are taking a week off from our regular reviews. So we're taking a week off to give we're two <laughs> bonus episodes. We're working twice as hard despite not doing our regular episode. But uh, <laughs> hey. But well, hopefully, if if we're not too verbose, the two bonus episodes will about equal the runtime of one of our regular episodes. That's what I'm hoping for. That's right. Uh, by the way, spoiler alert: I'm putting Rachel Ghoul and Spats on one of my. <laughs> I might change. Um, it before, I might change it before then, but that's that's in the consideration. Rachel right. Ghoul, top hat and monocle, removable monocle. That's that's on the list of of once from top. Uh, we'll see. Can't wait to drop those episodes, Liam, as we come up here. We're very exciting holiday week here in the States. But until then, I'm Cal. And I'm Liam. And we will talk to you on the next bonus episodes of the DCAU Review. Bye-bye. Merry Thanksgiving.